Welcome to the Culture Club podcast, where we discuss culturally relevant subjects as seen through the lens of art. I am your host, Jesus Gonzalez, Senior Art Director at Integer. Each month, we have a different subject and a different co-host. This month's subject was chosen by myself, Fandom. But you will also hear from Blake Rosas, Copywriter at Integer, Steve Jacobson, VP Program Director at Integer, and Richard Cran, EVP Managing Director also at integer as always follow us on instagram at integer underscore culture underscore club where we will be posting uh, images and videos and clips of what we are talking about so you can use our instagram post as visual references of what we're discussing trigger warning uh, we get it a little bit uh, into some serious subjects about race gender sexual orientation uh so with that warning this was such a great and amazing discussion with some great and amazing people so without further ado let's get into it for an entire generation people have experienced star wars the only way it's been possible on the tv screen But if you've only seen it this way, you haven't seen it at all. Now, for its 20th anniversary, the adventure of a lifetime returns to the big screen in a way you've never seen before. There'll be no one to stop us this time. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. With newly enhanced visual effects. They're coming in too fast! THX and digital sound and a few new surprises. On President's Day weekend, 1997, George Lucas and 20th Century Fox invite you to welcome back Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, Darth Vader, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Chewbacca, C-3PO, and R2-D2. Finally, the motion picture event, the way it was meant to be experienced. This will be a day long remembered. As the entire Star Wars trilogy returns. On February 14th, Star Wars, followed soon after by The Empire Strikes Back, and then Return of the Jedi. Move closer! For a whole new generation who have yet to experience it on the big screen. And for everyone else to experience it again. That boy is our last hope. No, there is another. The Star Wars Trilogy, Special Edition. See it again for the first time. The Force will be with you, always. Yeah, I love everything about this. Um, and and I know there has been a, a, a huge controversy around uh, which are better, the originals. Uh, the special editions ruined the originals. Why did they add uh, the CGI Chava the Hut? Looks really bad. And they uh, made it slightly better uh, after this. Uh, because, again, uh, George Lucas... And and keeps tweaking it and tweaking it. 
I got introduced to Star Wars through the special editions. That was how I started watching them. Uh, uh, the, the first time I watched them was the original, but I didn't really become a fan until I, uh, the special. Uh, but is it truly the, the 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 original vision that I'm watching? The original vision, according to George Lucas, was the special editions. Uh, can you go to the slide of uh, the next slide, please? Uh, this is might be the biggest uh, uh, single talked about scene that the Jeruka changed and keeps changing. He he changed it again in the Disney Plus streaming. He added a Makoki uh, that that Greedo says, and for no reason. I think he's just messing with us at this point uh, because it still hits, especially this one. It's still George Lucas's. But it is so much more, and it is uh, of everyone. So this is why I wanted to talk about this subject. Uh, is this fandom, is the the uh, artwork really still George Lucas? Should he let it truly go and, and, and just uh, let it breathe and let it have uh, the iteration that, that has hap happened? Uh, with the fans, and furthermore, now that Disney has expanded and added, and I'm wearing the Book of Boba T-shirt, uh, have they diluted some way the original Star Wars by tweaking, changing, adding Boba Fett? Like before, Boba Fett was just an armor, uh, a cool armor standing right next to uh, Jabba the Hutt, and and now he has a whole backstory that I'm loving. Uh, but is 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 that okay? Has it has Star Wars been taken over by Disney? Has it been taken over by the fans, or is it still George Lucas's? And and that truly is that question that I have for everyone uh, who owns the original artwork. Yes, Blake. Yeah, yeah. So Star Wars is a weird one just because it has so much media, books, TV, movies, just basic comic books, like any type of media. And I feel like Star Wars has always lived and breathed off of like the concept of headcanon where it's the fans get to decide what stories they like and they don't. Like for me, it's like I don't love The Rise of Skywalker and like I just kind of like just don't focus on it. Like it doesn't they don't get to tell me how I enjoy what I like. Like it's like. I like the Star Wars that I like. I like the comics and the movies that I like, all that stuff. And there's stuff that I don't like. So I think there's something as expansive in a universe as big as Star Wars. Because I don't think there's any real universe, like in fiction, that's quite as big as Star Wars is and how many stories there can be. So I feel like that's just kind of like – I think most Star Wars fans kind of pick and choose what they choose to interact with. And, I mean, Disney can tell us what's canon, tell us what's part of the real story. But that can affect how you enjoy the story and how you make the story in your head. It's like it's like reading any book. It's like it's just as much your interpretation as the author's. Yeah, no, I, I love that, and and uh, that has been my biggest argument with some people. I've I've been called not a real Star Wars fan with all my tattoos already uh, because I like the rest of Skywalker and I like uh, some of the newer movies. Uh, but you know what? This is my way of enjoying it. I've read all of these books of Star Wars to both sides of, of my of, of myself and uh, most of these are not canon anymore 
but I'm still enjoying them. And there's still like the new Star Wars stuff. It's still kind of grabbing stuff from there and then kicking, oh, that's from that book. Um, so I, I really like that that answer of like, yes, you you kind of uh, uh, interpret however you want to Star Wars. Uh, okay, so I think with this, we can go on to uh, the next presenter who uh, coincidentally is uh, Blake Rosas. Oh, sweet. I didn't know I was up this soon. All right. Hi, guys. I'm Blake. I'm a copywriter on Exxon, and we're going to be talking about Watchmen. So for those of you who don't know, it is a uh, graphic novel that was created by comic book legend Alan Moore. So DC loved his pitch for a darker, more mature series and offered him a seemingly lucrative deal. DC would own the rights to Watchmen until a year after publication is stopped, and at that point, the rights would then revert to Moore. He accepted, it, he accepted and Watchmen ran from September of 1986 to October of 87. However, DC did not account for Watchmen's massive critical and commercial success. It was ranked by Time Magazine as one of the best uh, novels of all time and was helped uh, DC briefly overtake Marvel in sales for the first time in, com in their history. So not wanting to miss out on potential revenue, DC worked around the reversion clause by continuously reprinting Moore's 12-issue run. So to this day, the comics are technically still in publication and the rights have never returned to Alan Moore. So this allowed for several sequels, prequels, and adaptations, but the one that I want to talk about is the Watchmen 2019 TV series. It's a direct sequel to the graphic novel and it deals with similar political issues but with a heavier emphasis on race relations. So as with any modern blockbuster with political themes or ideas, it's, it was review bombed on several sites by the quote unquote true fans. It currently sits at a 58% user score on Rotten Tomatoes in contrast to its 98% critic score. Uh, for those of you that don't know, review bombing is a way for toxic fans to gatekeep a piece of work. They conspire with like-minded individuals to create fake accounts to artificially lower the audience rating and thereby convince others not to see it. A notable example is uh, actually a Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi, is um, and uh, was a huge target for review bombing. But uh, despite both the outrage and the acclaim, Moore has also has publicly denounced the series. Since he left DC in 1989 yeah. due to his treatment on Watchmen, he has refused to be associated with any adaptations of any of his work and has forbidden any continuations of work he still has legal control. So my summary of all of that is that Watchmen is a brilliant piece of fiction that ownership is in question. Legally, DC, owns, uh, DC Comics owns Watchmen and gets to decide what gets made. However, many fans believe Watchmen belongs to them, but they don't allow for new audiences to experience anything outside of what they deem, quote, true to the source material. And then do we talk about the creator, Alan Moore? He takes it a step further. He despises any continuation of his work. And if it were up to him, this excellent TV series would not exist. So the question I pose to everyone is who does Watchmen belong to? Does it belong to the studio, the fans, the creator, or a combination? Are you asking who does the Watchmen watch? <laughs> well, yeah, who watches the Watchmen? I watched oh, yeah. the entire series. It was great. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I love that. that and yeah, I kind of bumped you into right next to uh, Star Wars because, uh, yeah, Alan uh, Moore is a curmudgeon and is the probably exact opposite as George Lucas. Uh, he he wants complete control over his what he sees as his own uh, art, art piece and it is very personal to him uh but I, I i love what you said like it does it belong to him or does it belong to to everyone else and it belongs like you said for star wars it belongs to the people that interpret that artwork however they want to and 
bad business or good business from the part of DC. I'm kind of glad they kind of screw him a little bit or a lot bit and we're able to create this uh show which was it's an amazing show and it kind of takes a life on its own so if you only watch the show uh i'm gonna call you out jennifer uh yeah i think you're a, you're a real fan uh go ahead well thank you um for saying that i'm a real fan because now that hearing you guys talk about it i I think the opposite, but um, okay, so I'm not a comic book person at all. Don't know anything about Star Wars, and every time Jesus brings it up, I'm like, oh, here we go again. Okay, but he hasn't brought up my other favorite um, that I do like that's a little bit nerdy, but Watchmen, I do love, um, and I honestly didn't, I just read the great reviews about it. I love um, Regina King, and so like, I just watched it. I didn't even know it was based on like comic book, really, and so I ended up getting more into it because I knew there was a backstory. And I started reading about all the blogs and all the different characters um, because I liked the series so much. And so they took a person like me that would not have normally known about the, this world at all. Um, and okay, and there's a book about, okay, well, I need to read it because it, it makes me more interested in it and knowing that there is like more involved. But who does it belong to? I mean, I... It's hard to say, but I, I would think the artists, because this is like their story, their world that they're creating. And I know that um, the fans are very close to it and want to see, um, I don't know, more depth or more direction or whatever. But really, it's about like the, the creator's vision. Um, and if I were to create a, a write a book or create a comic book series, then I... I don't know. I, I would want it to be my story. Like it, it's based on something that I see and I envision. And so it's said that, I don't know. I don't know if it really is anyone else's uh, right, I guess, to say well, that they are part of it necessarily. They can be a fan of it, but like, but okay. anyway, but I do appreciate that they did it anyway, because they did attract a new audience. I mean, from a business perspective, like I said, like, yeah, you attracted people like me. Um, so I think it was smart. Uh, I just, but if the story is not the same, I, which I wouldn't know, but then that's when I would have a problem with it. And usually I'm one of those people that likes to like quickly read the book before I even see the movie about something, anything, um, just not comic books so much, but I usually think the book is better. Um, and so I, if I read the book and it's better, then I might take back my answer just now, but <laughs> now I, I do enjoy the series, but I still think it belongs to the creator. Interesting. Uh, Zach, I think you're next. Yeah. So I think as of what you were saying, Jesus, that it belongs to the people who interpret it. So like, for example, Watchmen is relatively new when it comes to like writing stories. But um, when you ask questions like who, like who came up with the idea of like Atlantis or who wrote Dracula or who did like, who owns Frankenstein, all those things are now like out in the public and are more in like that realm of, myth <laughs> that uh even the original creators are not as big as the story that they created or what they could stand for or the parables of like the tales and that so i think it's just because it's so new that we're like oh it belongs to the author but if we look throughout history it's more of the stories belong to the people who keep telling those stories again and again and again or going back to them or referencing them so i think when it since these are so new, that's why we always like to argue with the author, but I think it's belongs to the world now once you put it out there. 
Yeah, and I think right now that's why I kind of clarify on on the on the theme of modern uh, mythology. Uh, we're in a unique position where not only we know who created these uh, new mythology, we can actively argue them. We can have a Twitter fight with some of these uh, uh, creators, and that's something that hasn't really been available at least in uh, this scale before. So it, it is an interesting thing that we do get the creator's reaction pretty much live uh but like I, I, yeah like i like you say like it it is not that much different from uh the draculas and, and and the greek mythology it's just really time dustin yes this is right up my alley so i think this is interesting because we're seeing it so much now like with 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 uh, properties that have been around for like 30, 40 years. Star Wars is probably the best example, I think, right? Like George Lucas, you know, he's not involved anymore, but everything says created by George Lucas. But the trick is, if you're going to do that, like Watchmen, for example, was a great, there's there's a fan base and a mass base that you have to, have to appeal to, right? If you're going to bring out this show, because it's like, you want to appeal to a greater greater mass of people to bring them into the story because it is really great. You know, even though it's comic book and you might not be into comic books or that genre stuff like that, but you bring it in because it's about that great story. But you are also balancing it with the fan base of going like, does it make sense when you for the folks who did read the Watchmen book? And Alan Moore is one of the greatest writers in comics all around. I'll just say that, folks. And uh, the artist was phenomenal. It's a it's a textbook comic book art study, I will tell you, for that book. But um, it's interesting because now you have all these TV shows for Star Wars coming out, like The Mandalorian, and you have the Boba Fett series, and like these, and they're just going to continue an Obi-Wan series coming out. So they're, as long as they're appeasing the fan base, those things are successful. But when they skew it too far, like you would call maybe the new Star Wars movies that people had a lot of issues with, because they didn't, they, they, they lost the creator's vision is what they did. So the creator puts it out into the world. And if you divert from that vision too much, you've lost the fan base and it doesn't work as well because the guy who's behind like the Mandalorian, the two guys that are behind it, one of them worked with George Lucas for years on an animated series. And I would call him his, he's like George Lucas's Padawan, Dave Filoni, who's the executive creative director at, at Lucasfilm. He understands where everything came from, why Star Wars looks the way it does. The the Western influences, the old Japanese Kurosawa film influences, like he understands what the creator was inspired by and brought it forward. Therefore, he can take it and run with it and create new stories and new content as long as he, as long as you're understanding what it was created from, you know? I feel like if you, and yes, I totally see Jennifer, like the Game of Thrones, right? It's like they had it up to the point where they had the, they kept, tied to the creator's story, and then there was no more story that the creator made, and it it just, it, it was terrible. George R. R. Martin was like, I'm just gonna chill here. And they couldn't, they just, they just <laughs> but maybe if they would have dug in a little deeper and like understood even deeper of the creator's mind, maybe they could have gotten to something, you know? But it's like, you gotta understand the thoughts behind of why and what, how it was created, and why it was created in the in the in the soul of it. You know, if you step away, then the fans will see it instantly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I love what you just said. I've never ever thought of it that way. As it 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 can and it does belong to the fans and to other people creating it 
as as long as it, you don't lose the original vision, original creators. Uh, uh, well, maybe not even vision, but soul and and, and intent. Uh, no, that's, that's an amazing point. Like I I I love that. Uh, Through my life, I've always been into this stuff, and I I find it so great when folks who aren't into it watch a comic book based film or series or something, and they find it really awesome because. As growing up, I was always like, these are such amazing stories. They're such great stories. And it's not just about, and they, and they approach real life things, you know, like real relatable things. It's just in a, like a superhero genre or a sci-fi genre. Like I always loved it when trying to expose folks to that through my life, you know? So it's just, I think it's great when, when they can bridge, you know? Yeah. No, uh, and, and Dustin, um, uh, because you know who Dave Filoni is, I'll show you later. Uh, I have a, a sketch that he did for me, and I have a frame. And it's over there. Oh, before oh my he gosh, got, that's amazing. Before he was Dave Filoni, like a comic right. before. I mean, he was an animator. That's what he was. He was an animator originally. Yeah. And yeah. And he sketched a, a Mandalorian. So I have that. It's oh uh, amazing. I'm so jealous. <laughs> uh, Gail? Okay, so I'm going to be the devil's avocado. I think that whenever someone, a writer or musician, when you're the creator, so then that makes you God, right? So you just made this universe and you put this universe out there and there are people who visit that universe and they love that universe, but there are also parallel universes. And once it's out there, it's out of your control what happens to that universe. It can be, you know, we're looking at when, when uh, I think the Brothers Grimm used them, when they went and took some of those myths and took them and blew them up and went darker or went lighter with them or whatever, you know, they just didn't have a way of everybody talking about it at one time, like we can get on this site and do it. But the fans, the people who love these stories, or I can even go deeper back to my husband's roots of griots in Africa that would re remember, they spent their whole life from youth all the way to adulthood remembering stories and they had to tell them verbatim uh, they would be killed because there was somebody else who learned them too, just to make sure that the truth went from generation to generation. And that's what we're trying to do with these universes that these people have created, opposed to letting it go into what it does. Maybe that's how this huge, you know, galaxy gets created, all these other little satellites of the stories. That's my opinion. So. And it's it's to me that reflects a little bit what uh, Blake was saying. Like you don't, you have your own head canon. There's the canon. There's the creator. There's the like what God wanted, intended, and wanted. Uh, but then there's like how you interpret it and and kind of how how you want to see. You may choose to ignore completely some of the aspects of that creation or or or, or have it. But why you say that once it's out there, it's out there. Uh, as, a, as someone who creates uh, and, and is scared of creating, uh, mm -hmm. that's something that we always have like in mind, I think. It's just uh, that vulnerability uh, and then add millions and millions of dollars to that uh, exposes uh, the, the, the vulnerability of the creator itself. You have someone who, like Alan Moore or uh, the creator of Harry Potter, she who should not be named, uh, who wants to hold on to the creation and really doesn't like other people playing around it. Uh, someone was, was business, uh, uh, business savvy and someone wasn't. But then you have someone like George Lucas who does like to let other people play in his uh, uh, sandbox, but then is also kind of meddling with it. 
Like he has the last say on on the original trilogy anywhere where it goes out. Like he has the last say of how it's going to be edited in Disney Plus. Uh, uh, we can go to the next presenter, and uh, I, I'm really excited about this because hey, look, Steve, Steve, are you up? There I go. Um, I didn't realize that. Um, that that's funny. That's really funny. Uh, I don't know how many are you are, of you are familiar with Roger Dean, the artist. I'm a big Yes fan, and obviously from the '70s. For those that aren't familiar with Yes, uh, British band, and a lot of the way I even came into this. It's funny because the album before Fragile, which was the first time that Roger did their covers. Uh, was just a sort of a portrait picture of the band, and I got into their music. But then I saw this very cool artwork on the Fragile album, and then you saw the next album, which was Close to the Edge, which is interesting because it doesn't look like much artwork there. But the thing about all of these albums is you open up the middle section because they they were all bifold albums, and this world just sucked you in. And Roger was uh, just this very accomplished artist that created so many different worlds uh, and to the point where I believe there were some issues with Avatar when that came out. Um, that aside, I'm really coming at this from sort of the fandom perspective of how I became a fan of, of this group from a combination of not only the music, but the art. And what's interesting is that just like bands, as they progress through their careers and through their life, um, their music changed and some of the artwork changed on the albums to the point where Roger wasn't necessarily doing their albums. And I sort of lost interest a little bit. But uh, I just sort of bring this up as uh, that there was a fan, there's a big fan base of Roger's art and especially the way it's attached to this band's music. There's a clip that we're going to run here and I'm going to do a moment of, of uh, self promotion. Um, I worked on a, a documentary. Um, focusing on album art, and this clip came from that film. So go ahead and roll it. It's an interview with Roger Dean. I took my portfolio and looked up the record companies I could find and started knocking on doors. And I knocked on Phil Carson's door. Phil Carson, head of Atlantic in Europe and in England, said, oh, I love your work, but I only have two bands. Yes and Led Zeppelin. So he said, I'll call you. So when I was talking to Yes, their idea for the Fragile cover was the Fragile sticker on the flight cases, but it was an embodiment of their mental state at that time. And I felt very much that their music was fighting to make a, a new world. And I would like to make in my art the world that music came from. For me, landscape and the journey through it is a spiritual experience and in my paintings I definitely try to capture some of that. I look at the pathways because it's the pathway that emphasizes and builds that spiritual experience. It entertains, it surprises, it disturbs, it gives you insights and imagery and it's the story, the choreography of the path that fascinates me. Well there you have it. And by the way, we're we're gonna get this thing placed on a platform, and as soon as we do, I'll let you know. We did have our first sale; it's in it's Sky UK. So if you happen to be in England, you can you can see it there. Uh, anyway, uh, I sort of open it up to the room here. If there's anyone interested in talking about 
you know, albums, album art, which is to me a very fascinating subject. Um, it makes up so much of our uh, music culture. And, and even to today where, you know, obviously we don't necessarily all have vinyl or access to vinyl. Um, you still got to make decisions off of Spotify and Pandora and those things, and they still have album art, you know, where it, it's a little different than the Star Wars discussion and certainly the Watchmen discussion um, in terms of uh, the intellectual property. And, and, and really to that point, you know, as a creator, put yourself in, in, the, in the hearts and minds of those that create this work. And sometimes you do great business decisions and you can be George Lucas and sometimes you do decisions that don't necessarily aren't the best um, necessarily for what you created. And you look at the people that created Superman and Batman and those other properties and DC owns those as well as Stan Lee's world. And Stan was an amazing, an amazing man that at one point I did get the honor to work with him. Yeah, go ahead, Dustin. There we go. I'm having trouble with that. Today. Um, and what's interesting about that to me is that uh, it's like brands. So I remember if anybody remembers Ethan Decker that used to work for Integer, I've seen him. He was a comic fan. Also, he was an INS guy, brilliant, smart. And I watched him do several presentations about brands. And he had this thing. It was a bat manatee. So a manatee that was Batman. So in how Batman has slightly changed over the years, but he's been on brand, right? The symbol may have looked a little different here and there, but it stays, right? So it leaves like, like Stanley wasn't involved with Marvel for years, right? But, you know, he was definitely, you know, he hasn't been, but like you said, he was the creator of these things, him and Jack Kirby and like um, Siegel, I guess, and the other guys that created Superman, for example, too. But Superman always has the S, always has the cape usually, you know, the blue and the red, like, it's funny because that's what I was kind of saying. If you're kind of, if, if it's like you're sticking to the, you're, you're keeping some of the soul of that. And it's, and it's funny, it just it made me think like it's like a brand, you know? It may iterate and change, but there's a core that, that it keeps always, you know, a core soul to it. At least a good brand. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. specifically, uh, I'll go ahead, Steve, sorry. Go oh, ahead. I was going to say specifically, uh, yes, I, I think the visualization of their music through these amazing worlds uh, uh, has been integral. Uh, there's, they just came out with an album last year, and they still have similar artwork. And certainly in the 80s, they kind of went crazy with their artwork, but uh, it always kind of came back to this uh, fantastical world that you recognize as being part of, uh, yes. Um, I was very excited to see when when you sent me this because I grew up with yes my dad's a big a prog rock uh, fan and and uh, I think I fell in love with yes first through the albums and and I don't I I I'm willing to say that I don't think yes would have been yes without these visualization of of the music it it yeah. it's, it's more than yeah. fifty. 50 like it's just really integral to it. it you're, you're right and even to this point one of the other clips that happens later in the film is that he, Roger does come back and he talks about that he's now traveling with the band and selling and art, autographing his artwork because um, the fan base is so rabid for this kind of, of artwork and you know I had 
I had the opportunity to to meet Roger, but I couldn't make that that shoot, which was very frustrating on my part because uh, it just the way that it was choreographed. I couldn't I couldn't change my schedule and the way that it, he was um, he was down in Orange County, and that's where the the conversion was. But the point is, is that just knowing that he was here just excited me because from a fan perspective that it was close enough to, to meet the man that really influenced a lot of my you know younger days no that's awesome uh yeah i, I got to, i got the opportunity to see them once and uh i uh i shook everyone's hand except uh steve ho like he didn't want to shake my hands but whatever <laughs> <laughs> this was 20 years ago i still remember but no this, this yeah I'm, I'm glad you brought him up and i'm glad i'm glad uh I'm I'm really jealous. I want to I want to meet him. I, I hope I can see them again. I'll out there, but I hope I can see them again. And I cannot wait to see your film. Like I I uh, saw it. You sent it to me, and I, I cannot wait to get it, like be distributed. We can go to the next presenter. Uh, yeah, Richard Cran. Go ahead. Hey everybody. I'm a little late to the meeting. I apologize, and I'm sorry if what I talk about with relationship to fandom has already been covered because I missed the first two or three. I came in at Steve's, so I apologize for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I think when I thought about fandom, when when Jesus sort of threw this out, I'm a, uh, believe it or not, a, a pretty crazy NFL fan. Um, I mean, in fact, I'm a fan of any sport in which oversized humans run into each other. Um, but NFL has become, you know, kind of my, my primary sport since I moved to the US 17 years ago. It's huge in... Uh, in our house, my wife's brother played at college and her father was a rabid Kansas City Chiefs fan, as am I. Um, the fandom in our house goes to the point that the kids and I have to watch Chiefs games in the garage uh, while my wife watches them in the family room because she yells at the television so much that the kids don't like being in the same room. Um, and yet I find my my love of the sport um, challenged. You know, being a fan sometimes can be really difficult and can be really painful and can be really challenging um you know take away the obvious challenge which is any sport which has just got so much money in it um and how pure can the sport be and all of that kind of stuff but you know here i've just grabbed four references you know i've got colin kaepernick i've got ray rice and i've got junior sayo um and they each represent you know things in the last three to five years that are that are topics that surround nfl um that ha that that I personally um, don't like the way the NFL has handled them. You know, I don't think I think the NFL has handled them like like an oil company covering up an oil spill somewhere. Um, I don't think you know to Jesus's point in some of this, who owns the conversation or or how true does the conversation or the or the or the product the IP have to be to what the fans want? You know, I recognise that the NFL is a corporation and and has to juggle multiple interest groups and stakeholders. Um, but I think at times it can be really, really hard to be a fan for something when, you know, whomever it is, a person owning IP or an organization owning IP, um, you know, control it for reasons that that at times um, are not in the best interest of the fans or the people who participate, all the players. And so I just thought when we were when Jesus wanted to talk about fandom, I just thought I'd I'd pop this one in here. Maybe it's just a quick one, but you know this is something that I love dearly, and it's a it's a critical part of my family's life. You know we get jazzed in June 
<laughs> you know, we start signing up for fantasy leagues in July. We start watching all the drafting, all the kind, you know, it's huge. And Sundays are devoted to football and Thursday nights and Monday nights. And the kids recognize that they don't get the television at those times. Um, so, you know, it's a really big part of the culture of my family here in America, but uh, it's a really challenging part of my family. You know, and my daughter's 11. So explaining things to her, you know, it got brought up, it was apparent for my daughter when, um, not Nick Chubb, running back who left Kansas City to go to, um, to go to the Browns, you know, when the Chiefs did what I thought was the, was the right thing, when, um, when he was, when, when, you know, stuff came up about him assaulting his girlfriend, I think it was at the time. Thank you, Kareem Hunt. Thanks, Blake. Uh, you know, when the next time we watched, my daughter was asking, where was Kareem and is he injured? And the answer was no, you know, we, we dropped him. Why did we drop him? Well, because he did some stuff that was bad, you know. That's a good conversation to be able to have with a nine or 10 year old girl if you can do it in a positive way. But they're all conversations that have to happen. So the Colin Kaepernick thing, for example, all of these things have, all of these images represent conversations that were long overdue in happening. So it's actually a good thing that they happened, but the way they were handled and the way they were controlled and some of that kind of stuff, it just makes it for me sometimes really hard to be, uh, you know, to be as in love with this sport as I am, you know, as I was last Sunday evening when the Chiefs beat the Bills, you know. Um, sometimes it's hard to to stay in love with something you're a real fan for. Go ahead. Yeah, no, as someone who is also like really loves football, it's uh, I see, I, Every fan of the NFL kind of shares one thing in common. They absolutely hate the NFL. Like, I mean, Rod, I mean, I personally, I feel Roger Goodell has no integrity in any way, shape, or form, but that's a different conversation. I think uh, the NFL, and I think sports especially, is storytelling and modern myths in a way for people that don't love yeah. storytelling modern myths. And I think it's uh, it's really interesting I think a lot of people forget that these are people. These aren't characters. These aren't gods. These are people, and they make mistakes. And uh, it's really strange for me seeing the NFL get into the business of morality, mainly because the NFL is always going to be wrong with this, especially when they have – basically, they've set up a standpoint where it's kneeling for the national anthem is not anywhere near as bad as – kicking your girlfriend on live tell uh, on a live video like that's just what the nfl has said by not by blacklisting Cal colin kaepernick and mm -hmm. allowing kareem hunt to just shift teams and yep. just start again and everyone's forgotten about it like yeah. i mean even ray rice he had a four-game suspension and that was mm -hmm. it until the video leaked and everyone pressured the nfl and i just think it's really interesting seeing it's just Outside, like when we've been talking about fandoms, but the NFL, they're a corporation where they really influence what happens, mm -hmm. like in a way that fans can't change it. It's a game. These players all have to do it. So seeing someone like the NFL rule in such a strange, uneven way, it's always going to make them seem like a hypocrite. And that always does kind of put an asterisk on my like enjoyment of the NFL. Personally, I prefer college for those reasons I've said. Just because I think NFL is too much of a corporation, and when a corporation gets involved in the morality business, I'm always going to be off-put by it. Any corporation, not just the NFL. Yeah, I think I agree. I think you're dead on. And yet, you know, I'll I'll watch it every weekend, every Thursday, every Monday, and I'll pay money to have extra channels on my television. And you know, I mean, it's funny in a in a maybe disconnected way. I hope I don't say anything wrong here or offend anybody, but. 
you know, it's there's a there's a version in what you were just saying, Blake, that made me think of, you know, some of the some of the furor around JK Rowling and her attitude towards trans gender people and you know how much of that world does she control and how much of that world is the fans and how much of that world is the actors and you know um you know whenever you create anything that that people have passion for which i think is what every creator hopes will happen for their creation there's always stuff that they lose control of and stuff that's negative around it and personal life gets written into a character and all that kind of stuff but yeah, you know, when it's when it's writ so large as the NFL is, you know, I think the I think the most viewed television event in history is still a Super Bowl. Yeah, it just it, it just it just challenges me. It challenges my love of something that that I love for the, you know, honestly, I love for the brutal the brutal simplicity of the actual game and all the stuff around it is both entertaining and challenging. So that's why I thought I'd throw this into Jesus's uh, culture club today. Uh the reason I really like you bringing up this is because the way I relate to this is from to Harry Potter. Uh, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. Uh, since pretty much the movies came out, uh, it has been uh, my 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 ritual to watch the Harry Potter movies on Christmas, and a ritual that stopped when uh, she who should not be named starts saying dumb shit. And and it, she continues to say dumb shit, and it has been a challenge for me. Also, I, I can definitely relate to that. Uh, your sentiment, uh, HBO Max just came out with a uh, the 20th anniversary, and I saw it and I cried, uh, and 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 it was amazing. And I want to watch the new uh, Fantastic Beast uh, uh, movies, and and I consume podcasts, and I consume the. Um, not officially licensed Harry Potter inspired plays and and Harry Potter's fans are very creative. But I think something that you and I have in common, Richard, is that the offended party, we sympathize, but we're not the offended party when it comes to those entities. Yeah. Uh, and and I have uh, I know people, I have friends and 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 just listening to podcasts. Uh, some of the huge, huge fans of Harry Potter uh, are those being attacked, and I cannot imagine having that conflict. And I don't know how that uh, you you still are a fan, and they still are a fan. But it, I, and I guess it comes back to what we said in the beginning of, and what Blake said: you take your fandom and you make it your own. And you take what you love and, and what the experience that you had and the moments that you live through the fandom doesn't really get deleted. No. It's just there. That's I think that's a lovely sentiment, Jesus, too, because you know, most fandom fandom or fans of most topics will always find things connected to the topic that they're a fan of yes. that might be less not what they want right they might not like they might not agree it might offend them it might whatever and so i think you just have to be quite conscious of accepting you know i love this for these reasons and i don't love this for those reasons but those reasons might make me love this less and i and i welcome conversation with people for whom those reasons make it abhorrent but i think it is a matter of you've got to you know if being a fan or maybe this is the right way to say being a fan for something forces you 
to draw some lines about what you'll accept and what you won't accept that you might not otherwise have to draw. So maybe that's a maybe that's a positive. Maybe that's the way that it forces conversations that we wouldn't otherwise have. Thank you all for listening. This was an amazing discussion with some amazing and great and very, very insightful and smart people. We could not have done this without their participation and your participation. So please follow us on Instagram at engineer underscore culture underscore club. Again, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.